0: Ramsey and Bala, Giorgio Chiellini celebrates a rare goal for him. Oh, brilliantly finished by Weston McKennie, And that's a terrific finish from De oh, oh. Now Kulisevsky, oh. Little turn for Bernadeski. Morata! Oh, he's done it! Alvaro Morata! And Chiesa opens up the angle and fires in a wonderful goal! Glorious save from Zecchesi. Rabiot, a fine run and a wonderful goal. Superbly created and calmly finished by Juan Benton Bentoncourt nods it home. Now Dybala options in the middle. Ronaldo is one of them. And as they always do, Juventus find a way. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the show. I'm Vincenzo, and today we have a lot to discuss regarding Juventus since the last episode of this podcast. So let's get right into it with this whole Super League debacle. Since the last episode, we had uh, Real Madrid president Perez come out and announce the creation of the Super League with Juventus president Agnelli, who would be one of the founding members. Now, this league would consist of 12 teams from the top leagues in the world, a few namely being the Premier League Serie A and La Liga, And this Super League would essentially be similarly set up to the way the Champions League would be. But instead, it would have 11 core founding teams that would essentially qualify each year. Uh, So, for example, to uh, elaborate, let's put Juventus in there. For example, they would be in it every year uh, competing. There would be no relegation for for them. And the term that they use when they describe this was, quote, immune to relegation, unquote. So you can understand why there was big controversy around this, and essentially it was because clubs would be breaking away from their domestic league, and there's a lot of money at stake uh, if they were to break away, given the caliber of a lot of these, and the uh, and the um, reputation that a lot of these teams have. So uh, a lot of the clubs in the league, the smaller clubs, were, were not too happy with it. and. To go further and elaborate what it would be, what this league would look like, there would apparently be five guest clubs, which would be subject to change every year as a secondary competition would essentially be set up later on. Again, as I said before, similar to the Champions League and the way the Europa League style is set up. So you have the Champions League, which would be the first tier competition, followed by the Europa League, which would be the bottom tier of the competition of the of European competition. So um, there would be relegation and promotion involved, also as I stated before. So um, so the main question: Why this Super League, right? I mean, it's been talk. There's been talks about this for quite some time, but to me, the obvious reason is money, and the belief is that. Television revenue is involved here, and at a tremendous amount at that. So, um, this is like the main reason why this whole Super League has been talked about and being pushed so hard by, you know, the Juventus president, the Real president, and all these other top teams. So, um, also ha- having these top teams involved, this would essentially eliminate the predictability of the group stages of the Champions League. So that was one of the arguments when they founded this and according to the founders uh they stated that a predictable group stage leaves fans uninterested and playing against each other would increase revenue generated so here's my issue with that while it would be great to see these top teams the best teams in the world play against each other consistently this league would eliminate the possibility of an underdog rising to the top and essentially claiming that Champions League or Europa League trophy. So, I mean, let's give an example of this. In the 2019-2020 season in the Champions League, Atalanta, who are a club from the Serie A and have only just recently begun playing in the uh, Champions League football, they made it to the quarterfinals and had the potential to go even further um, if it wasn't for their lack of experience. But you can even take RB Leipzig and and Lyon, who eliminated top teams in that competition, Athletico and City. So you would eliminate that possibility, which I always am for an underdog story. I think it's I think it's great. I think it's great when you see a team that's not a favorite uh, push these top teams so hard. And this is essentially where these players, these top players come from. They come from these tiers and that's how they make their they these lower tier teams. And that's how they make their name. So But anyway, fast forward and, you know, the English teams were the first teams to pull out. So six of them pulled out following lots of backlash from fans and other club teams in in their domestic league. And as far as Italy was concerned, Inter Milan and Juve have apparently pulled out since it cannot go forward without the six Premier League clubs. So basically these six Premier League clubs were essential to creating this league and having it structured. So but there's been so much backlash about this whole thing with clubs in Italy, even going as far as saying that these these teams should be kicked out of the domestic leagues, or at the very least punished some sort of way. This is what these other clubs, let's say like Roma, um, Torino, all these other teams. This is what they're going out and really wanting. They're wanting these top teams, Inter Milan and Juve, punished for for even a, for even having this thought of and and, and potentially leaving the domestic league. So. Uh, I can't see it happening anytime soon, especially given how quickly it was forced um, to be aborted. You know, I mean, it was they literally announced it and like a week later, it, it was basically shut down. So and at the end of the day, it, it was just another way to generate revenue. I mean, let's be honest, because honestly, that's what football has become. It, it's a business now. And, you know, long gone are those days where teams competed or compete to be the best on the pitch, and where those intense rivalries meant so much to fans and players than they do today, really. I mean, take Juventus, for example. Coming off eight straight Scudettos, four Coppa Italia's, and two Champions League final appearances, they decided to part ways with former coach Massimiliano Allegri, who arguably is one of the best coaches in Juve's history after the success that he's had. So they do that. They bring in Sari. And now Pirlo in a matter of two years because they want, quote, more attractive football, unquote. So, I mean, we all know how that's going. So you change the winning philosophy. I mean, to me, trophies and winning, that's what matters most. But clearly, that's not what matters anymore to these club club teams. It's essentially more than that. So you want to attract the football so you can attract more fans and essentially generate more revenue. Let's be honest. But And then on top of that, they bring Cristiano Ronaldo, who hasn't been past the quarterfinal stage with Juve since his arrival. And again, what for? Like I said earlier, money. It's always about money. You know, and I stated in my last podcast, it's, it's not a, you know, they say, is Ronaldo a failure or is he a success? I mean, it depends how you look at it. On the pitch, sure, it could be a failure, I guess, because they bought him to win the Champions League and they haven't won the Champions League. Success because financially, Juve are in a better spot because of him. I mean, those are facts. You know, and um, honestly, again, as I stated in my last podcast, you know, it's the sad truth today, but Ronaldo's been a disaster on the pitch for Juventus. And it's because of, you know, the failure to bring this team to Champions League glory. And I repeat myself because this was the biggest gamble. And this is like one prime example that I'm trying to emphasize on why money rules over the game of football over the beautiful game now so you know the once beautiful game of football has become nothing more than finding ways to make money you know nobody cares about players feelings or you know fan feelings you know just what's better for the club financially I mean at the end of the day you know you've got players who want to stay at the club and you know they they come out and basically say it you know and some of them are willing to even take pay cuts but then the club forced them out so again it's not about loyalty or you know feelings and anything like that it's just financially what's best but let's move on from that we'll talk about Juventus's fixtures and results as of late um so since the last episode Juve played six matches following their draw against Torino and all of which were vital in their terms of uh uh, and their chances, rather, to qualify for Champions League football. So it was definitely a mixed bag, I felt, in terms of performances and both results, too, right? So given the pressure that Pirlo was under, or you would think he's under, you you, you would expect more from, from this side. But, I mean, they, they lost the pivotal match against Atalanta, and they drew to Fiorentina, you know, and currently right now they sit third place, uh, tied for third place, with 69 points, same as Milan and Atalanta. And it's a very tight tight race for Champions League football, Napoli are two points behind them, you know, and uh, uh, there are four games remaining, and, you know, arguably all the matches that are left are winnable, you know, Inter and Milan serve as the main threats, but I feel, you know, they'll have a better chance against Inter because when they do play, them because Inter have already been virtually crowned Champions, so this game really means nothing more than you know a rivalry match and bragging, right? So there's little to play for for Inter. I mean, you would think, except for the rivalry aspect of it. So who knows what will happen there? I mean, they have a chance. So really, this the game against Milan at the weekend will be the main threat. And uh also, as a side note, to bring up some transfer gossip regarding Milan and Juve. You know, Gigi Donnarumma, he's been he's had to sign a contract extension with his current employers and there is so much speculation that he could be on his way out and Juve have been a big name that have been thrown into the mix and you know granted I've read that there's reports stating that they have to finish in a higher place than Milan to be able to even acquire him so who knows what will happen but it is claimed that you know uh, Gigi's agent Minor Iola will play a big role in this transfer you know there are reports are saying that Juve have already offered a mouthwatering like eight to 10 million euro deal a year for the 22 year old shot stopper so and milan are not offering that much they're you know so it, it it's interesting to, it'll be interesting to see if gigio will uh part ways with milan and it's also said that milan can't afford this kind of salary eight to ten million euros especially if they miss out on champions league football so um and he's been reluctant to to put pen to paper so I just want to talk about what a huge signing this would be for Juventus. I mean, it would be absolutely huge. You know, as I stated earlier, he's only 22 years old. And he's arguably one of the best keepers in world football at the moment. You know, current keeper for Juve, Shezny, he's 31 years old. And he's had a mixed bag performance lately. But for the most part, since he's been at Juve, he's played pretty pretty well. But I would immediately replace him with Gigio. And uh, I think Juve would be able to recoup some of that money from a, a sale involving Chesney um, due to how well he's performed, I mean, overall. Bottom line here, th- there's no excuse not to go after Donnarumma and, and make that dream a reality for Juve. Um, but we'll see what happens there. In their upcoming fixtures, and uh, I want to talk about their upcoming fixtures and also some, uh, some player performances as of late. Um, so the last couple of matches... I want to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo because he's been a player that's been struggling on the pitch and, you know, yet yeah, Pirlo makes the mistake of leaving him on the pitch. And I, I, I get it because, you know, a player like him, he can instantly turn a match if the chance falls to him. But, you know, here's the thing. Chances have fallen to him. And he squandered some of these chances that could have given Juve vital points that they need to qualify for a Champions League football. You know, most notably, the glancing header that he completely mistimed uh, and a player of his caliber should have definitely finished um, in the game against Fiorentina. And that would have been three points past weekend instead of one. So they would have been in second place and a little bit more comfortable of a lead. But this has been my issue with managers in the past. You know, they, they keep these top superstars um, on the pitch because of their reputation and, you know, fear of backlash from the player or the fans or upper management. You know, I say, oh, well, you know, you, you got to do what's best for the squad. If you're not performing, they need to come off the pitch, plain and simple. Especially recently, with a reported rumor of an injury, like a lingering injury that Ronaldo's carrying, for me that makes even more sense to take him off. You know, however, I will say this past game against Udine, which was another game that for 82 minutes, he was awful. Let's be honest, along with the rest of the squad. But he did manage to take over the match with a double in a matter of six minutes and secure three points for Juve and save Pirlo jobs. Uh, Pirlo's job. A first, he scored a well converted penalty that was one off a handball from DePaul off of Ronaldo's free kick, which you can argue it looked like it was going for the top corner. So, in my opinion, it's a shame that it was a handball and DePaul had to, you know, uh, and DePaul had to lift his arm like that and, and, you know, give away the penalty because Ronaldo's poor record from the. From free kicks, I mean, I would have liked to see him score one converted, just just because he's been getting a lot of criticism as of that. So, but anyway, and then in the final minute of normal play, 89th minute, he just gets his head to a back, uh, he gets a back post header to seal the win for Juventus and save the job of a few people in the hierarchy of the club, Pirlo, you know, Paratici, Nedved. All of he just saved all of their all of their jobs. I mean, you can see if you watch the match, and when they showed these people on the bench, uh, especially Paratachi and Nedved, I mean, you can see how worried they were. I mean, they were more more antsy than I've seen them in other matches. And it, and again, their jobs are at stake, and rightfully so. You know, I was actually really surprised in that match that he uh, the decision to play. Um, Actually, the game prior, excuse me, uh, I was really surprised that Pirlo, leading up to this match against Udine, he's been playing McKinney out of out wide instead of putting some like a nat- more natural wide player, like let's say like you know Bernadeschi or somebody like that. Um, who's more adept at playing out wide. But, you know, mckenney has been struggling, let's be honest, since they made the move permanent, I think. And this is troubling. But I think it's it's down to the coach and where he's being played. You know, McKenney's not a wide player. McKenney's a natural ball winner. You know, he's warrior-esque, you know, type of player. And if he needs to be played in the center of the park, you know, I say it over and over again, I like Pierre, I really do. But I think he's not up for this job at the moment, especially not with... The type of players that are at his disposal and this type of pressure—you know—players still look unorganized on the pitch. There are times where I'm watching them defend and watching players track back, and it looks absolutely atrocious. I mean, players looked confused. <laughs> They're arguing over left marks. It's just sad to watch, given the quality of these players. They're conceding goals that, <laughs> from what it seems like, a lack of focus. Much like the the latest goal that Udine scored, where everybody was caught napping and arguing with the referee instead of following their marks and paying attention and being alert. You know, they clearly don't understand the direction being given or what's expected them to do. I mean, that much is clear. Let's take Delict. He's, he's a perfect example of this. You know, just this past weekend, there was a moment where I literally... Uh, saw him like oh I'm sorry it wasn't this past week it was against Fiorentina I, I saw him turn his head and he was like literally wondering where to go like in complete confusion <laughs> like like for real what this is a player you know He he's a player like him he's playing next to you know legendary defenders like Chiellini who and he doesn't he doesn't know what to do or what's expected or where he's expected to go you know this is a major concern I, I've never seen that from from these types of players these types of caliber players so to me that just leads one thing how you know if you were able to do that before why not now it's got to be the coach so again like i said it's a major concern especially considering that i thought he was starting to settle in well last year under sadi so and i didn't like sadi but i will say that he settled a lot better than he's doing now and i like delict you know there's been a lot of speculation at the end of the season you know, given this poor run of form from everybody, you know, will Sir Max Allegri make a return to the to the bench? You know, while I certainly pray this is the case, a lot of things need to happen for this move to happen, I think. You know, number one being Ronaldo. You know, there's been reports, you know, that Allegri has pretty much told Agnelli that Ronaldo is the problem and he's stunting lots of players' growth at the club. So this means to me that if he were to make a return, he'd want Ronaldo gone. So we can focus on more players like Dybala, let's say, for example. You know, and I've said it before, but I'll say it again. I agree with legacy statement about that, about Ronaldo. And I know I'm going to get a lot of backlash from Ronaldo fans. And it's no disrespect to Ronaldo. But it, at this point in his career, I think, it's, I think it's time for him to move on. You know, and this team has a good core group of players, you know, that can be built around. So, and there's no doubt about it. So, I'm just going to list a few right now of the players that I think should be kept and used to rebuild the squad. I mean, they said this year was a rebuilding year. So, all right, if you're going to rebuild, then you got to shuffle out the players that, you know, are not needed for this project, for this rebuild. Let's start in the back. Number one, first player I would keep hands down, 21 year old uh, Matthijs Delict. You know, sky's the limit for this kid. You know, I, I like him a lot. I was so happy when they signed him. He has the qualities you'd look for in a center back. He's aggressive. He puts his body on the line. You know, he has a warrior spirit. He's intelligent tactically. He captained the Ajax side at such a young age. You know, I would love... I love this kid as my main defender. If, I, if I'm that coach, if I'm that management group, I'm building this team. He's part of the center of this team that I'm building, so... Uh, And that's pretty much... I mean, that's sad because that's the only center back that I would keep, really. He's the only one that has proven anything. You know, next, let's move into the midfield. The next player I'd keep is 23-year-old Rodrigo Bentancur, the Uruguayan. He's truly one of my favorite players in the game right now. I know he's had his ups and downs lately with Low and whatever, but if you watch, I mean, the kid's intelligent. You know, he's technically, tactically tactically aware. He knows where to be. You know, he battles to win the ball back. You know, he can hit them from a distance. He has vision. You know, he's just on his way to becoming a complete midfielder, I feel. And, you know, pair this kid with the likes of Artur McKinney in the center of the park. And, you know, I think we've got a solid midfield foundation to build off of. You know, as far as wide men, I think... Nobody has shown to me that they deserve a place in this squad. You know, besides for the player that I have, and I probably will continue to heavily criticize Federico Chiesa. You know, 23 years old, Italian international, which by the way, I would like to see more Italian internationals make their way onto the Juve squad. But this kid, he's surpassed my expectations. And I would dare to say the club's expectations. I I think his move is going to get made permanent at the end of the season. Oh, uh, and that's assuming they make Champions League, uh, Champions League football. You know, up front, I think you have to make the ball the focal point. I mean, he's still at an age where he can he can pose a threat going forward. You know, we all saw how successful he was when he was the superstar of the squad. You know, whether he was paired with Morata, Manzukic, Higuain, to name a few of them. You know, the kid put up numbers, and, and he was a menace for defenders. You know, it was then that he was touted to be one of the best footballers in the world. But then we all know what happened in the summer of 2018. You know, it's uh, none of us uh, Juventini will forget what happened. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo arrives and the rest is history. Another player I would keep, and um, I truly have loved this kid for a long time, Alvaro Morata. You know, he's been one of my favorite players since he arrived at Juve. I remember watching him play and instantly being impressed. You know, not many players do that for me, but here's the issue. He's now 28 years old, and Juve need to pay 45 million euros at the end of the season to keep him permanently. I don't think it's feasible at the moment, given the financial situation at hand here. However, there is an option for Juve to pay 10 million euros at the end of this season to extend his loan for another season. And then at the end of next season they can make his move permanent for 25 million euros. You know, I think the latter route is the route I would take for the Spaniard. You know, he's already proven his worth time and time again at Juve. So, 10 million euros for a player of his caliber, especially the way he performs at Juventus, is that's easy for me. I would spend that every day. You know, he's also recently came out and he's gl- he said he's, you know, he's gladly he would gladly stay at Juve for life. But, you know, it's not up to him. And this is going back to what I said before about money pretty much rules football you know if you recall this was the case of his first loan spell when it was expiring with juventus you know he said he would love to stay here at the club and then when he did go back UBA didn't exercise the option to buy him or even attempt to buy him so and then we all know what happened after that but if you really think about it there really isn't that big of an overhaul needed at the club you know, you can keep eight important players, nine if you count that they bring in Gigio Donnarumma coming in at the end of the season and try to offload the rest or slowly phase the ones out that are more difficult to, to sell this summer. You know, that's a solid core, you know, and with the right coach at helm, this squad can be a threat to the rest of the world. And speaking of coaching, I think given... Uh, what's going on, going on in the Champions League football with, with cities have to play Chelsea in the final Champions League football. You know, Pep, I think if he wins the league this year, the Champions League this year, he'll be open for a move away for the club from from City just because I feel like he would want he would have won everything already and now he needs another challenge so it's just it's just an idea I I don't know I haven't read anything about this as of lately but it's just a feeling and and given the interest that Juve had in him for him of him in the past and um you know how he said he he wanted to see out his contract he wasn't going anywhere he had more trophies to win I think now that if he wins the Champions League which I think they will win against Chelsea in the Champions League final um I'll go on record saying that but um I do think that he'll probably look for a different challenge, and I think Juve might be an, you know, interesting challenge for for him if the opportunity arises. But, you know, nothing's confirmed. This is just speculated. And then if it's not him, then it's Mad Max who should take the reins after after the season. Even right now, I mean, I wanted him there uh, in January. Um, so. Uh, i just I, I hope they make that happen i hope he, they can come back because he's a good coach i mean he showed it he's won trophies he's brought them to two champions league finals in a matter of like th- what three three years four years i think whatever it was i think Allegri needs to be shown more respect than the, what he has been shown but for now you know pierlo's job is safe along with that of nedvin and parachi uh Paratici, excuse me ronaldo saw to it at least that Uh, They would, at least Pirlo anyway, would see another game this weekend against AC Milan. You know, at Udine this past weekend, Pirlo was on the hot seat. And, you know, any result less than a win would have seen the Maestro sacked. You know, and and while Pirlo has said that he's not worried about his job in the past and, you know, and that his future remains here, um, there has been numerous reports suggesting that he won't be on the bench next season regardless of what happens from now on. Um, And these same reports... Also, I've suggested that Nesbitt and Paratici's jobs are at stake with Juve in such a close battle with Atalanta, Milan, and Napoli, and even Lazio for Champions League football. You know, I can't stress enough what a catastrophe it would be if Juve did not play Champions League football next season. You know, at the end of the weekend watching Juve play against Udine and just how awful they were, I really must admit I was hoping that they did lose that match so Pirlo would have seen the boot because it was just atrocious. I I can't stand watching this team play like that. The football that's being displayed by this group of players is flat out embarrassing. I mean, I have no other words for it. I mean, how many times must Cristiano uh, just be Ronaldo and save this team, or even Morata come on and save this squad? You know, without these two producing or scoring the goals, I mean, all the goals that come from them mostly, without them scoring, this team would be in real trouble. And again, this should not be the case with so many quality players. I mean, you saw in the past when you were so successful, you had goals from everywhere on the pitch. You had the forwards pitching in, you had the midfields pitching in, and then occasionally you had some defenders pitching in with goals too. So I mean, you—they need to get back to that. I need to see that. I, I need to see that again from this group of squad, or from this group of players rather. But, you know, that'll do it for this latest episode of La Vitanzata d'Italia. You know, definitely discussed a lot as the pressure has been brewing around Pirlo and this Juventus side. So, you know, let me know what you think. Message me on Instagram or Facebook and I'll potentially discuss it uh, uh, in the next episode of the show. I want to thank you all for listening. Till next time, I'm Vincenzo Gagliardi.